mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers, and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am your host and moderator, Sean, and with me, as always, Sean P. Say hello, Sean P. What's up, party people? Hey, guys. We want to talk a real quick second about probably one of the most interesting major phone announcements this year, and that is the launch announcement of the OnePlus 5 from OnePlus. Uh, both Sean P. and I got an opportunity to watch the live stream video of the announcement today. So, uh, Sean, why don't you take us through a quick walkthrough of the specs for this phone and tell us what's going on. Okay, so the announcement, as Sean said, was today, and here's what we have in a nutshell. Um, the OnePlus 5 has a 5.5-inch Full HD, so 1080p AMOLED screen with Gorilla Glass 5. A Snapdragon 835 with an Adreno 540 GPU. I believe this is only the third uh, Snapdragon 835 phone in the States after the um, S8 and the U11, right? I think the U11 is correct. I think so. I think this is number three. Um, as far as memory is concerned, we have two models. There's a six gigabyte of RAM model with 64 gigabytes of UFS 2.1 memory, and then a variant with eight gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabytes of memory. Battery is 3300 mAh uh, with dash charging, which is OnePlus's proprietary charging technology. I think it is something like 20 amps or volts. I can't remember which, but. Uh, it charges, they had a comparison with the Galaxy S8 and it charges significantly faster, especially if you're using the phone while you're charging. As far as cameras are concerned, we have dual cameras on the rear. We have a 16 megapixel Sony IMX398 with a 1.7 aperture. Uh, and we have another 20 megapixel Sony IMX350 with a 2.6 aperture. And this is the one that gives you kind of the 2X lossless zoom. Um, which is similar to what the iPhone does with its dual cameras. Uh, Bluetooth 5.0, NFC, we have a front fingerprint scanner. Um, It still has a headphone jack, which they made a big deal of and kind of mocked kind of Apple for in the keynote today, which was funny. We talked before coming on air about uh, that was maybe one of the favorite parts of the announcement was the gigantic troll job of Apple and other OEMs with the uh, faux removal of the headphone jack. It was pretty spectacular. If you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. Yeah, very solid. Uh, it's dual SIM, so you, you can have dual SIMs. As far as colors are concerned, the 6 gigabyte, 64 gig variant comes in slate gray, and the 500, excuse me, the 8 gigabyte, uh, 128 gig version comes in midnight black. Um, and as far as pricing is concerned, the uh, 6 gigabyte variant is $479. And the 8 gigabyte version is $539, uh, which is more expensive than previous flagships. The OnePlus 3 launched at $399, and the OnePlus 3T launched at $439. So we've moved up a little bit in the pricing ladder. Um, as far as features are concerned, the big thing that really OnePlus is hanging their hat on is the cameras. Kind of the dual camera technology was a big focal point of their presentation. I think that's kind of the main justification for the higher prices in a lot of ways. They kind of mentioned that the differentiator between kind of the mid-tier phones and the higher-end phones oftentimes is the camera, and and this was their move to try to be in that higher-end group. So um, based off of what you saw, Sean, what do you think? I have a few thoughts on the OnePlus 5. I... 
am not in love with the design only because it mimics the iPhone so closely. And actually I saw quite a few reports of this and it's probably more accurate to say that it uh, is much more influenced and by influenced, I mean is a direct ripoff of the Oppo R11 chassis, which it apparently is basically the identical shell. I don't know what uh, OnePlus did with uh, trying to get those, but basically it is the identical phone. So uh, I think the Pixel was kind of slammed uh, last year for its boring design. I think OnePlus should probably have some of the same criticism. Um, as far as the specs and everything, there's not a lot not to love, if that makes any sense. There's a lot to love, I guess is probably a better way to say that. Um, I am a little skeptical of the dual camera setup, uh, only because a lot of the reviews that are out there right now um, are a little bit conflicted. And uh, I think there's some good that's out there, and I think there's some other stuff to be concerned about. Um, the rest of the stuff, I particularly liked the uh, dash charging, the improved dash charging, I think is a really, really good and unique solution, even though you kind of, uh, you got a little bit of lock-in with using the OEM charger from, from OnePlus. You can't use any of the other quick charging technologies. You can't just use any other straight up USB-C uh, cable and get expect to get those charging speeds. I like some of the other uh, gimmicks they had, the um, e-ink uh, mimicking display settings where it allows you to custom calibrate the display to warmer tones when you're reading things either uh, just normally or via a uh, app like um, the Kindle app from Amazon. I thought that was kind of a fun and a, a unique value added feature. Um, the 128 gigabyte variant with eight gigs of RAM seems like a little bit of overkill. And the, the biggest thought that I have, uh, and I'll end my rambling a little bit here, uh, is that I think that OnePlus made a little bit of a faux pas, a blunder. I'm not going to go so far as to say a mistake, but I think the pricing at 539 when you're missing things like SD card support, when you're missing things like any kind of IP water and dust resistance rating, and when your device is probably not going to sell much more maybe than the original version of the 3T, which I think they said sold somewhere in like a million, a million and a half units, something like that. I, I could be wrong, and I probably am going to be wrong, that this uh, larger variant with the 8 gigs of RAM, which seems like an insane amount of overkill, uh, is going to sell quickly and apparently has already sold out. But I, I think that there would be a lot more interest at a little bit lower price point, because especially there, I think you're coming close to many other top tier smartphones, you know, within a stone's throw as far as pricing is concerned. Uh, and some of them offer better or more features uh, than the OnePlus 5. What do you think? From a design standpoint, I know why people aren't super maybe knocked out by the design. It is very iPhone 7-esque, uh, the iPhone 7 Plus specifically. It basically looks like a, a 95th percentile scale version of an iPhone 7s from the rear, especially. But as far as the dual cameras are concerned, really you only have a couple options. You can stack them vertically or you can kind of pop them in a corner like this. And I, I'm not sure that they're, that one version is better than the other. So the design is a little bit derivative, but if you're going to steal from someone, Apple is not a bad person to steal from, quite frankly. I think the black version specifically looks really nice. Um, the front of the phone, though, they're still sticking to a 16-9 ratio screen, and what that means is you still have a fair amount of bezel top and bottom, much like you did with the U HTC U11, which we talked about. 
Now, it does have a, a fingerprint scanner in the front and bottom, so that helps to at least justify the smaller bezel space to me. The fingerprint scanner, by all accounts, is the fastest on the market. Again, I saw 0.2 seconds referenced over and over again. I saw that, too. It looks insanely fast, which is great. And it's centered, which to me is a big deal. I actually like the symmetry of the, the front. So there's no logo or anything on the front either. It's very clean aesthetic. So the design, while not anything that necessarily stands out, is a clean design. I think a lot of people will appreciate the metal versus glass. It's less fragile and less slippery in your hand, which is a big deal. And from what I've read, the build quality itself is really quite nice. So again, it's not the most amazing design on planet Earth. And yes, it is a little bit derivative in some ways, but there's only so many ways to make a phone. And overall, I actually like the way it looks. It's, it's not as flashy as something like the G6 or the Galaxy S8, I think, certainly. It looks a little bit older, but I think it does the job. As far as the features are concerned, I, I think the biggest omission is probably the IP resistance for me. That's kind of a big deal. An SD card slot is nice and I like having it, but when you have 64 gigabytes and 128 gigabytes as your kind of storage options, I think that's sufficient for most people. And the screen, I, I've seen some people say, hey, look, it's only 1080p. Uh, but at 5.5 inches, I think that's okay and it will help with battery life. And I've already seen some performance benchmarks, which although they're cheating on the performance benchmarks. Absolutely cheating. Which the XDA busted them for today. Big still time. with 1080p and an Adreno 540, anything graphic wise is gonna be at the top of the charts right now. Um, the new screen also supports the color space that Apple has kind of started supporting that. The DCI-P3. Yeah, DCI-P3. So, I guess there's a couple different calibrations you can choose. There's the sRGB and then the DC, whatever it is, and DCI-P3. How could how yeah, hard could that be boy. to remember? And then there's you can do custom screen settings too. So that that's kind of nice. So price, price is what this comes down to. Pretty much. And by the way, just for the record, four seventy nine, sixty four gigs of storage, six gigs of RAM. Totally on board with. I think it's perfectly fair. It is $40 more than what the 3T sold for in roughly the same configuration, uh, but you're getting a lot more in terms of the dual camera performance, the latest and greatest processor performance. You're getting a lot more for your $40, and so I think that's fair, at least to me. I think that's, I think that's right on the money in terms of price point. I just don't know about the extra storage. Like, so for me, I'll compare this to the Pixel and the Pixel XL. So there were two different sizes, two different variants. They were equivalent in a lot of ways other than screen resolution and size, obviously, and then the battery capacity. But when you were paying more, you were clearly getting more for your whatever the difference in the Pixel price was. But to me, I, I don't know that this $60 jump is worth it. I guess is probably the way to say that. Am I, am I wrong? What do you think? I think it's a fair perspective. Lots of the chatter online today was people's disappointment that because the price has gone up, that it's within a stone's throw of actual flagships that have better OEM support in the United States and, and distribution repair and all of those things. And That's not completely unfair. Samsung's running a deal right now where you can trade in a phone, and if you do that, you can get a Galaxy SA for $424. So the question becomes then, would you rather have the Galaxy S8 for $424 or would you rather have the OnePlus 5 for $479? This is tough for me. In a vacuum, I think I'd rather have the Galaxy S8 for a variety of reasons, but I also don't know if it's completely fair to compare 
phones that are on a special deal right now like that and say, oh, it costs less. The LG G6, yes, you can find them for less money. There's been all these special specials going on where you can get it for less money, oftentimes through carriers and oftentimes you know, tied to some kind of deal. If you're looking at just MSRP, though, minus these specialty deals, this phone still is quite a bit less expensive than anything else. The HTC U11 retails for $650. We've seen it for $599. It is out there, but that's more expensive. The Galaxy S8 released at... Uh, 749 and 849 and yes you can find them for less money now and that's so when you are shopping you have to take that into consideration but if you're just looking at as far as msrp of what the phones are and you're not looking at these deals i still think it's a fair deal for the money because for many of those other phones like the lg g6 you're getting 32 gigabytes of of memory and you're getting four gigabytes of ram and you're getting a snapdragon 821 for the Galaxy S8, you're getting 64 gig of memory. You are getting the Snapdragon S835, but you're also only getting four, only four gigs of RAM. Only four gigs of RAM. Um, and then, even if you're looking at the U11, it's again it's S835, but you're getting 60, 64, 64 gig of RAM. Mm-hmm. You do get an SD SART card slot, but it is four gig of RAM once again. So, you know, when you're looking at the eight gigabyte variant with 128 gigabytes of UFS 2.1 memory, which is kind of the best there is. And, uh, and you may not even get that in your Samsung exactly, Galaxy S8. Samsung's been busted for not doing that, and we know LG's not doing that in the G6. If you're looking at those things, I think the value proposition is still okay, and that's not taking into consideration things like the fact that in all the hands-on reviews that I've read, and I've read about a dozen today, it's still the fastest phone on the planet, maybe this side of the Android phone on the planet, this side of the Pixel. The OS is faster. It's basically stock Android with tweaks. There's a, there's a lot of things there that add value depending on what you're looking for as a user. So, yes, it's more expensive, and I understand why people are upset at that. I think the 539 price point is a little bit, you are encroaching into that territory, but you are getting 8 gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabytes of memory, and that's not there's nothing else you're getting that with. And then at $479, when you're comparing that model, which is still insane, I mean, 6 gigabyte of RAM, 64 gigabytes of memory, Snapdragon 835, dual cameras, I think it compares fairly well for me. As far as the camera's concerned, too, when I was reading the reviews today, and boy, they are all over the place. The Verge panned it. Big time. I mean, big time panned. It was a very negative review. I think it got, and the Verge score, if I remember right, was a 7.9, which is one of the lowest for a smartphone recently that I've seen. But Android Authority, Android Central, Android Police, GSM Arena, and Gadget, fairly good reviews, ranging from good to certainly above average. A lot of them were getting good results with the camera. Which actually surprised me a little bit because while I did read, I think it was Ryan's review on Android Police, uh, David Ruddick, who we've mentioned a couple of times, is one of the managing editors for that same site, um, panned the camera significantly. In fact, in a recent tweet, I think I saw something of his that said something to the effect of, uh, if what you're trying to rely on is this camera to sell your phones, then you failed. And so the the discrepancy there and some of the other discrepancies on the various different websites that I've read regarding the camera um, concerned me a little bit. And that's not to say that it takes crap photos. It doesn't. It takes really good pictures and really good light. But when you start to use the telephoto zoom, when you start to use the software processing for the 
portrait bokeh effect. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's where it starts to kind of veer into hit or miss, which I think is hit or miss is what I've seen in the reviews, and hit or miss I think is what the camera is eventually producing. The camera, it seems like, it vacillates between overly sharpening things to the point where it looks artificial, or the picture's so noisy that it doesn't look very good, one or the other. So I did see a fair amount of reviews kind of saying that. Here's what I'll say. As with the HTC U11, which I think we've talked about before, and even with the 10, the hardware's there. When I'm looking at the hardware that they use for these cameras, the Sony sensors that they're using, this is top-of-the-line stuff. So if the issue is processing and software, my expectation is going to be that it's going to continue to get better as they go along. So the fact that it's kind of more middling, it sounds like you can get some really good results and you get some results that aren't so great right now, but my expectation over time would be because the hardware is so solid, I would expect that this is going to get significantly better. And in the tweet that I read from Ruddick, uh, to be fair, he referenced a photographer's website who had, was a, a gal who had been given this device as a prototype several months ago and had been using it as her daily driver and daily um, photograph-taking device uh, for a while. And she even mentioned in the article that the pre-production unit that she got was very poor at first and subsequent software releases had improved the camera experience significantly. So what you're saying is entirely possible. It is very likely that the camera experience for the end user can be improved over time. Because again, I believe it's the Sony IMX398 sensor, if I remember right. That's the primary, the 16 megapixel one is that. Yes. Yeah, and it was developed exclusively for uh, OnePlus. So this is a, a very unique sensor from that standpoint. So I think it is very much capable of taking really good photos. I just don't know. Nobody's on Google's level with computational photography right now, specifically in the realm of HDR auto. Um, and so maybe it's just that, that it's going to be a little while before they catch up. And there's a notable omission with the cameras and that it doesn't have OIS. And I saw someone tweet, it might have been Ruddick again, who they said is one of my favorite tweeters, but someone mentioned that really, besides the Pixel, no one's really been able to follow through with the promise of a great camera without OIS, especially in low light. The Pixel's really like kind of the standout. Maybe the iPhone 6S or 7, I can't remember, one of them, also, I think did not have OIS. Maybe that was the six, even going back, and it still produced pretty good pictures. But if you're going to hang your hat on the camera, it really should be a standout feature. And I think right now, in its current state, it's pretty clear that it's capable of producing some good results, but it's not on the same level as the top tier cameras, which to me are the iPhone Seven, the Galaxy S Eight, the Pixel, of course, and then you probably put the G Six in that same like top tier. But this is one of those things where. It's, uh, the camera sounds like it's an improvement, certainly, from where we were with the 3 and 3T. And we're at a point now where I think the cameras, even when we're saying it's not as good as others, is probably substantially better than anything else we had two years ago. And for most people, it's probably going to be pretty solid. And because the optics are such a good base, I feel like over time with software updates, it will be quite a bit better. It makes it a little hard if this is their justification for the higher price right now. It's a little disappointing the results are not where you would want them to be right off the bat. So I'll give you that. But long term, I feel like they'll get this handled. And I would tend to agree. Um, although, it, 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 like you say, if they're going to hang their hat on the camera, it was a little concerning to me that it wasn't spectacular right from the jump and maybe you know again maybe we're spoiled by the results that the galaxy s8 and the google pixel phones have produced over time these are consistently outstanding images and some of it is software related no doubt and that can definitely improve over time 
Um, one of the things that can't improve over time, which was one of the other criticisms that I saw was of the display and the fact that even though it's 1080p and AMOLED, it is pentile matrix. And I saw several reviews that said that you could see some smearing. What's the right blurring? What's the right word for the pentile effect? Because, and this is getting way into nerd talk here, but because... Hold on, hold on, listeners, we're going into the weeds. Yeah, we're going going deep here. Traditionally, on a pixel, it has three sub-pixels. On a pentile matrix, it has two. We've discussed this before in the past. What this really means for you as an end user, though, simplified, is when you're looking at things that have a sharp edge, so if you're looking at text, if you're looking very closely, instead of the line looking smooth, so to speak. It may look a little bit jagged under certain circumstances. I use... I really am very picky about displays. Very, very picky. He's not joking, people. Uh, Very picky. And I had a Note Note 3 that was 1080p pentile uh, at 5.7 inches, so it was actually a lower PPI than this phone is. And I used the OnePlus 3 last year pretty extensively because one of my friends has one. It never bothered me. Hmm. If you're looking for it, you can see it, sure. But the the screen, the color's really nice. It popped. It had good contrast. I actually liked the white balance on the OnePlus 3. It wasn't too yellow or warm. So I never really... This wasn't an issue for me. Compared to the top-tier screens, a 2K... 1440p AMOLED, sorry. Sure, it's not as it's not as nice. You're you're going to see more artifacting if you're really looking for it. Artifacting, that's the word I was looking for. But thank you. I don't think that most people are going to be able to tell the difference. And I think if you didn't tell them that it was a 1080p screen, I'm not sure people would be able, able to even tell. I full disclosure, I haven't had it in front of me, but it is an improvement from the OnePlus Three, and I couldn't tell on the OnePlus Three, so I don't feel like I'm going out on too far of a limb in suggesting that I'm I'm going to guess that it's fine. We're going to know, by the way, everyone. We we have one on order. Um, my friend buys the OnePlus phone every year. Jesse, thank you again. Big shout, Jess. We're getting an 8-gigabyte, 128-gig variant in the black color. Um, so we're, we should have that hopefully in the next few days. So we'll, we'll know more for sure. The other nice thing here is I have a Galaxy S8 Plus. Sean has a Pixel. So we're going to be able to compare photos head-to-head in the same place at the same time and really give you an idea of how they do in various lighting conditions. So a lot of these things kind of remain to be seen, but yeah, I think you can nitpick things. It's a derivative design. Why isn't it a 1440p screen? If the camera's the thing you're hanging your hat on, why isn't the camera already off the shelf as good as the other? So all these things are concerns, but and it moved up in price, so that makes it a little harder for those things to swallow. But I think the things you're ignoring in that equation are it still undercuts most competitors, in, irrespective of these special deals that are happening. It is one of the only phones right now that I can think of in the, in the United States that has six gigabytes of RAM or eight gigabytes of RAM, especially. There are no others that I know of. Welcome to Overkill City, population the OnePlus 5. Yeah, it has a Snapdragon 835, which is the top tier processor on the market. And between the leaner operating system that they use and the fact that it's a 1080p screen, and based off of the first-hand reviews I've read, it should very well be the fastest phone you can get right now. Pixel, maybe, but right up there. And I think when you take into account all of those things, there's still a compelling argument to be made here. And design's a subjective thing. I like the design. Yes, it looks a lot like an iPhone 7, but an iPhone 7 is a good-looking phone. 
Yeah, it's not bad. And by that, I mean, and again, we're talking about nitpicking and it is much more of a subjective thing. Some people will love it. Some people will hate it. It's fine. Um, I'll borrow your favorite term is it's not offensive. So it's good. It works. Um, Do you think the lack of, I mean, none of the OnePlus devices have ever had SD card support. And I agree on a certain level that internal storage in great capacities will overcome that somewhat. Um, This was mentioned, I think, either during the keynote or by somebody else that I read during one of the reviews. But uh, OnePlus has not a large OEM. They don't have access to some of the, the technologies that the big boys do. Do you think the lack of an IP rating is because of that or because of cost-cutting features or cost-cutting measures maybe or something else entirely? Why, why is this phone in an era where even HTC can manage to get an IP67 rating on their phone, which is made primarily of like glass and metal and other things. Why can't or why won't OnePlus do it? It's funny, if you're actually looking at the differences between mid, mid-tier mid phones and the high-end phones, this is becoming probably the biggest differentiator in a lot of ways to me. True. There's a lot of overlap of processors, memory, screens, you're seeing 2K screens in, in lower-end phones, but I can't think of any phone underneath $600 as far as a full retail that has an IP rating hmm. offhand unless you can think of something I can't I mean unless you would consider the Moto phones that have like that nano water repellent coating they're not necessarily I mean it's not they're an not IP rating they're not IP rated though yeah it's, I mean, it the, wouldn't survive a dunk like again we've talked about it before like the Pixel's IP53 is like uh, yeah, if you get some morning dew on yes, it, you probably yes. want to wipe that off right away. But the G6 was the first LG that had an IP rating. True. The HTC U11 was the first HTC that had one. Most correct. Samsung's been doing it for a couple generations, but their phones are exceedingly expensive, so that's kind of an expectation, I think, with them. Yeah. So Even the iPhone rec- only. The, and the iPhone, uh, re- yeah, just this last the, generation. Yeah, the 7. So I can't think of a phone underneath $600 or 650 as far as retail that has an IP rating. So is it... a is it a bummer? Yeah. I mean, I, I think an IP rating is a very handy thing. There's a real utility there. People nerf their phones all the time by getting them wet, specifically. So that's a, a useful feature I think people love to have. But if, in this price range that we're looking at, no one else has it. So is it a deal breaker? N- not for me, I would say. If you need that, you have to move up the price ladder. And I would imagine next year we'll have it. Yeah. I think I think what you're going to see, and this is what usually happens with features, right? The IP thing is in all of the flagships now, literally all of them, and now it'll trickle down to the mid-range next year. That's just kind of how it works. And I'm, I know that the presentation, the live uh, event, they made a big deal about how they listen to their user base, and if the user base eventually clamors enough for this, then they'll probably find a way to get it in there. They have a much larger team now than they did when they started. So previous iterations of the OnePlus device not having it makes a lot of sense. Again, it was more of a lack of access due to cost-cutting measures kind of thing. But potentially going forward, uh, that amount or type of technology should be available to them. And again, if this is something that they're going to continue to not do, then again, you have to make that decision according to what's most important to you in a device. And maybe, yeah, you do have to spend a little bit more to get that SD card support and or you know something like a, a modern design like the, the SA does. I think if you're playing that $600 price range like the Essential is that we discussed on our last pod, 
IP becomes an expectation at this point. So the fact that the essential doesn't have it at $699. Yeah. It's kind of a, that's a, it, that's a big oversight to me. Yeah. I was going to say for the one plus, it's kind of a bummer, but you could probably get over it for $700 with the essential. You go, eh, that could be a make or break decision on that device. And again, while more expensive, $479 compared to 699, that's a big gap. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Next year, if it didn't have it, I would be pretty surprised one, because I think, I think the mid-tier phones will start getting it next year. I think the last of the the flagships that doesn't have it is the Pixel right now and the Moto phones, the Z2. I know that the Pixel have it this year based on everything we've read. The rumors are it's very strong that it will. Not sure on the Moto. The Moto might be the last holdout as far as like the plus $600 flagships because even the Sonys are IP and, and those aren't even really available here, but they, yeah. they're good IP. So... For this price range, I think it's okay. It's not hard to uh, get water resistant on bezel because that's all the Sony phones has. Is it's a what is it? It's a twenty three percent screen to body ratio. Yeah, it's wow. like twenty three percent screen and eighty percent bezel. That's cold. That's cold, son. That's cold. But also true. Um, what else haven't we talked about about the OnePlus launch announcement that people need to know? I don't know if we're missing a whole lot. How to get it? Where to get it? Uh, right now, it's in like a pre-sale mode for the first week where you needed to put in a code that they gave everyone, so I'm not sure what purpose that served. What was it? Better photos? Uh, clear photos, clear I think. photos, I think that's I what it so It's like a password protection yeah, the password. You know, to unlock to totally, get on their website. Totally insane. Like, Jank city. I kind of saw that and was, I don't know what they were thinking. Speaking of, by the way, just totally off topic on the keynote, but they had Emily Rochkowski, who's a very attractive uh, model. Yeah, as a model. They had a segment with her that was so cringeworthy. I don't even know where to start. It was, it was honestly, it was bad. I, it was really bad. I was trying to imagine like on my drive home tonight, the guys on their marketing team going, Hey, you know, it would be just amazing. We'll have em- Emily Rutchkowski on our introduction video. I honestly think they were like, okay, who can we get to be a celebrity endorsement that will come for the money we have to spend, but also as someone that people will know and recognize. And I think their fan base is predominantly male enthusiasts. So if you believe, if you believe the pictures they took of the crowds in line waiting for their photos, then it is a hundred percent male. So she's not a bad choice because you know, big boobs and a lot of the things that men tend to like as a general rule. So I get it, but sex sells. It was, it was so bad. I was just sitting there going, it reminded me of like the horribleness of the galaxy S Five from oh. Samsung when they did like their Broadway show where yeah. you're just sitting there going, man, how many people signed off on this abomination and it still happened, right? But, you know, so no, as far as not covering things, I think we're covering what people would want to know about this phone. I think for most people, the $479 version would be the way to go. I think that's your best bang for buck by far. And I think at that price point for what you're getting, there's an excellent value proposition. The $539 one with 8 gig of RAM, probably for most people, I th- who really needs 8 gig of RAM? I don't know. So It's insane overkill, but in terms of if what you really want is to spend the money once and future-proof your phone for $60 more, you are getting double the internal storage and 
uh, an extra two gigs of RAM that you probably won't need or won't use. But, you know, if you're still going to have this phone three years from now, it'll probably still run pretty well, I'm guessing. And subjectively, it's kind of a bummer. The the 128 gig black version looks cooler, in my it opinion, is, than yeah, the gray version. The midnight black is bitching. Yeah. Although I did, uh, I did see, I think it was the video review from uh, Marcus Brownlee, who is MKBHD on YouTube, uh, said, the funny thing about this phone is it comes in black and almost black, which I thought was actually a pretty accurate description. Like a really, really dark charcoal gray or black. Those are your two choices, people. Despite that, I actually don't love the way the slate gray looks. I, I like it. It's fine. I like the black version a lot better, so there you go. Yeah, did the gray didn't bother me, and again, if I'm saving 60 bucks on it. I'm probably going to throw a case on it or a D-brand scan or something, so who, you know, who gives a crap? It does irk the crap out of me, though, when it, manufacturers do this and they don't make all colors available and all, like, on all models. It's just, it's silly. What year, what year are we in? But overall, I know people, some people were disappointed. There's a lot of people upset out there that the price moved up. There are absolutely things that it doesn't have. Chief amongst them, the IP rating, I would say the SD card slot, and, and a 1440p screen right off, off the bat for me. But for everything it's missing, it has a definite differentiating feature of more RAM, more memory, and uh, this camera system, while not perfect right now, I, I think in the long term probably you'll see some impressive results as they push some software updates. So compared to other budget phones, when you're kind of looking at that landscape, Snapdragon 835, it compares favorably. I mean, a, a Moto Z Play 2 is going to be, what, $400, $450? Yeah, I think $449 sounds right. And this and this this is better in every way. It has a bigger battery. It has a better screen. It has a better camera system. It has a newer, way better processor. It has more RAM. It has more memory. So when you look at it through that prism, I think there's a lot to be said here. I, I can't think of a mid-range phone for $479 that I would buy over a OnePlus 5. I don't think you could. I don't think you can find one either. Although, in the interest of full disclosure, we're hoping to have a Moto Z2 Play review unit sent our way very soon too, so we can take a look and compare uh, the real-world performance of it. Um, but again, on paper, you're right. The the OnePlus Five, even in the smaller version, uh, should and actually, I'm sure, will outperform uh, all but the best top-of-the-line flagships. And again, you're getting. You know, 90% of that for you know 65% of the price. So, is there a is there a good value proposition there? Absolutely. Um, it's available on OnePlus's website. It should be available for everyone to purchase as of June 27th. So, if you're interested um, and you have less than $500 to spend, I think this is probably a must buy, right? It's the way I would go if I were buying a phone in that price range. Again taking out of the equation some of these deals the carriers have on the phones. If I'm looking at something where I'm paying full price or buying unlocked, unquestionably, for me, that's what I would do. Personally, I'd buy the 6 gigabyte, $479 version, and I think that's what I would recommend for most people. But for those people like my friend who want the overkill top version, there's nothing wrong with more. And uh, we're going to see how it does. I'm actually really excited. It'll be really interesting to have since we both have kind of the of the newest, you know, the only Pixel, and I have the Galaxy S8. It's going to be great to actually put them side by side and see how they do, because last year when I put the OnePlus 3 up next to my Note 5, the OnePlus 3 exceeded it in a lot of ways. The Note 5 had a nicer screen, but the OnePlus 3 had a better fingerprint scanner. It was faster in use. The camera wasn't quite as good, but it wasn't as far as you might think, so 
I'm kind of excited to see we're getting an 8 gig 128 gig phone to compare to ours and it'll be interesting to see how it actually does side by side with what I would consider to be two of the most well-rounded phones on the market. I agree. I'm excited and I'm looking forward to the comparison as well. So uh, keep an eye out uh, for a follow-up podcast, I'm sure, where we will discuss all of these things going forward. Um, Anything else before we sign off, Sean? No. I want to get it in my hand now. It's very hard to know when you're just reading something and, and I'm going a lot off of my experience with the OnePlus 3 last year, but... I want to see how it does. I want to see what the pictures look like and how they actually do. It's, I think reviews usually aren't quite as all over the place as this phone. It's kind of weird. Usually it's, you see the same critiques over and over again. And this is one of the cases where it wasn't that way at all reading the reviews today. So I'm excited to get my hands on it and kind of form my own opinion because a lot of the times I think when you're reading these things, you kind of, it's so consistent that you have a preconceived notion of what to expect. And this is one of those cases where I'm not sure what to expect from the cameras, for instance. So. I'm really looking forward to getting it in my hands. I agree. I'm very much looking forward to it as well, and I think our real-world experience will translate well. So um, thanks for listening, guys. And remember, you can check out all of our musings at silicontheory.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We are at silicontheory. Or drop us a line at our inbox, silicontheory at gmail.com. Thanks, guys, and we'll talk tech soon. Good night.